This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, good morning. Good to see you out here in the early service. Bless all of you. If you need a Bible, get your hand up real high. I want you to see the Word and kind of give you an introduction. We're going back to grace. I welcome all of you here. Once you got your Bible, go with me to 1 Peter 5. Just We were on it a couple weeks ago, and I went, I don't know, a couple weeks on it, and I couldn't get off of it, and so here after Resurrection Sunday, I thought, we're just going to pick back up on it, and I will tell you, probably for the next three weeks, we're going to stay on it, and our main text is going to be right here in 1 Peter chapter 5, so give you an idea on what's going, going to go on here. You know, grace is such a big deal to Father God, and even the Apostle Paul, he talked about grace exclusively. Just over and over. Now, once again, grace, it it doesn't give me a a license to sin. Grace doesn't absolve my responsibility to live holy either. But the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, every one of those books within the first three verses He highlights grace. You go back and you look at every one of them. And so I want to get over onto grace just a little bit today because you're going to see there's something that attracts grace. I don't know about you to say that. That would make me want to tune in. What is it that actually attracts grace? Well, we begin in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says, likewise, and that, that word likewise, there's a transition word which literally means there's a shift to another group. Likewise, you younger people submit yourself to your elders. Now, it's interesting that we start out right there. He says, you younger people submit yourself to your elders. And the older you get, you realize there's a cycle in this thing called life. That every one of us in this room that are getting a little older we realize way back when we were the younger ones. And now it just evolves into now we're the older ones. But something happens when I learn to just obey the word of God. And he's telling me here, younger ones submit or be subjective to elders. And, And the older I get, the more I realize why the Lord says that. Because wisdom only comes in certain areas as you go through life. As you've walked through it. And so when you get around older people, man, there's a wealth of wisdom that comes off of them. And if I'll just subject myself to that. Then he says this. Yes, all of you be submissive or subjective to one another. And as I read this, he's dealing with me and you literally about people. How I am to other people And when you see be subjective to your elders, be subjective to one another, is that possible? Well, look what he goes on to say. And be clothed with humility. And be clothed with humility. Now, when you think about his words he just used there, be clothed with humility, that's a choice. What you have on right now was a choice. You you didn't get up this morning and... Whatever you have on right now just kind of danced right out of your closet and just jumped on you. No, you chose to wear that. And so 
He's telling me right here, be clothed with humility because it's going to become a choice of yours and mine. It gets real interesting here. Look what he goes on to say. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, to answer that question, I, I said a minute ago, is there anything that attracts grace? Yeah. Right here, humility or a person that lives humble, you're going to attract the grace of God. But he said, first of all, that God resists the proud. Listen to that same verse in the Amplified, and it says, God sets himself against the proud. God sets himself against the proud. Now, it's the only place in the Bible that I can find that God sets himself against people. He doesn't set himself against people that lie, that cheat, that steal. But it specifically says that God himself will set himself against the prideful. And I really believe that the, the real reason for that is every time we as human beings, we become very prideful in any area of our life, or whether it's toward other people or even toward Father God. We are imitating the devil. He's the author of pride. And because the devil was so stinking prideful, God booted him right out of heaven and said, dude, you're not going to stay in here. And so when we read here, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I got to get a hold of this. I got to get this on the inside of me. I've got to start purposing in my heart to say, Lord, I want to live humble. I want to live with humility. Now, Look where he goes next, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Submit to God, be subjective to God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, when I, when I walk humbly and I live humbly before Father God, he's going to exalt me on his timetable, not on my timetable. But on his timetable, how do we how do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? How do we do that? Well, he answers that in verse seven. Cast all your care upon him. And if you'll note in there, he said, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. Now, that word care there means it denotes distractions, anxieties, burdens and worries. In other words, if you got some drama in your life, don't hang on to it. Cast it upon Father God. Why? He said, because I care for you. Now, anytime I get over and I think as a human being, I can handle this. I got it. I got it. That's a form of pride that is literally, without thinking about it, that is literally telling Father God, I don't need you. I can do it on my own abilities. I can do it on my own talents. But I go against the very thing that God has structured here. And he said, if you'll cast all your care upon me, I care for you. And so as you read all this, it comes down to this. This is part of humility. As a human being, one of the greatest things that I can do is say, Father God, I need your help. I cast my care upon you. I give it all to you. Now, I'm going to take you back into the Old Testament to the book of Habakkuk. So let's go back to Habakkuk. And you may say, where in the world is that? Well, it's tucked in there between Nahum and, and Zephaniah. 
So I'm going to give you a little bit of time to get there. But remember this. God only graces the humble. Only. Now, this guy named Habakkuk, his name literally meant to embrace. And in Habakkuk's time where he's living, and Habakkuk's only three chapters. In the time that he's living, the four kings that had been before him in Judah were all wicked and rejected God. And so it'll give you an idea just with that, that the time frame that Habakkuk's living in is, is not good. He's imbued with the sense of justice. And, and when you begin to study this, you'll find out that he could not ignore all the unrighteousness that was going on around him. And so what Habakkuk does, he takes the great questions of life and he asks Father God about them. So you're going to see in here that literally if you would read this, he asked God two questions and God answered both of them. I'm going to deal with one of them today. And there's so much in this, we're going to be back here next week. But when we start here in chapter 1, you'll see the difference how he was in chapter 1. And when we end in chapter 3, you'll see a totally different shift in this guy's life. So we begin in Habakkuk 1, verse 2. The prophet's question. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Now, just with that statement right there, Habakkuk's, he's uh, thinking here, God is nowhere to be found. Where are you, Father? Do you not see? Now, in him saying that right there, I, I believe every one of us in that room have been that way one time or another where we've looked and said, God, do you not see what's going on? This is the question he's saying to God. And he goes on to say, even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why doesn't a good God stop the existence of evil? How many of you ever thought that or even said that? I mean, you look at the, the arena of life we live in in America right now. I mean, right here in Lubbock, there, there's not a day that goes by that there's not something ugly that's going on in America. And it's very easy to get over and say, God, what's going on? Do you not see all this? So this is where he's at now. Listen to these words real close that highlight the time frame he's living in. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention that are on the rise. Therefore, your law is powerless and your justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous or they far outnumber. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. So this was the question Habakkuk was asking Father God. And he said, I don't understand. Maybe that's you today. Jump to chapter 2, verse 2. Now this will be a, a verse that some of you will, will remember right here. And he goes on to say, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. That he may run who reads it. And so he's telling, he's telling Habakkuk, the very things that I'm telling you, 
Write them down on tablets so that the person you give it to that carries it, he can go and everywhere he goes, he can show everybody, this is what God's saying. And this is what God's going to do. You know why I know that? Because in Malachi 3, it says God doesn't change. He does not change. So when God tells you something, it's going to happen. So he goes on and says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. So he begins to tell him all this. Now, when you read stuff like that, that it will tarry, but wait for it. It's going to happen. Our thought as human beings is always, when, God, when? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And what I find out in life with the things of God, there's a patience that takes place at times. And with patience, this is where grace must begin to kick in. Where I, I cast all my care on him, but then I understand, he said, I'll exalt you in due season. I'll, I'll grace you to wait on this, to wait on me, if you'll just hang on to the things of God. Same chapter, verse number four. Behold the proud. Behold the proud. Now, Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction. Pride goes before destruction. And right here he said, behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. His soul is not right with me. Now, this is how I found all this right here, is when we talked about there that God resists the proud in 1 Peter 5, this is one of the cross-references it took me to. So when he says here, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, this is referring to a man who, who attempts to find life in himself. This is a man who says, you know what, I, I can figure everything out in life on my own abilities, on my own time. Now think about that. God said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and I'll exalt you in due time. So when you read this verse right here, this begins to tell us the root of the problems that were going along, or, or, along in Habakkuk's time. The root problem was they were prideful. They had the thought, I don't need God. I know better. But look what it says there at the end. But the just shall live by his faith. Now, the, the New Living says that they trust in themselves and their lives become crooked. But then he jumps back and he says, but the just shall live by his faith. So there's two key words in that verse right there. Proud and faith. When I get over and I become prideful or full of, of, of pride, unbelief in the things of God attaches itself. But the very opposite of that, humility and faith go hand in hand. And when I get over to humility and faith, you're going to tap into the grace of God. Over and over, you'll begin to see the connection in the Bible that when you become humble, there's going to be a faith because the, you know what the humble says? I believe God. 
I trust in God. So the, the two comparisons here is you have one who tries to find life in himself, but the other side is the human being that says, Lord, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to trust you. And once again, anytime I get over into that area of my life where I become humble and say, Father God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you no matter what's going on in my life. You've just tapped into the grace of God because he gives grace to the humble. So this is what this guy, oh, Habakkuk's looking at. Now go with me to chapter 3. You're not going to get all this this week. You've got to come back next week because there's a bunch more on this. Habakkuk 3, and begin with me in verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines. You know what he's telling me there? Even though there may not be grapes on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food or they're barren, though the flock may be cut off or die from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls. Now that's not a good report in the natural. Everything he just mentioned is bad. Just look at it. But look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So his joy is in God, not in his circumstances. He's not ruled by the things that are going on in his world. And the last part there, he said, I will joy in the God of my salvation. That word there, joy, in this sense, is a verb. And that word joy right there in this means that he would, with an intensity, he would spin around with a violent emotion. So joy right here that he's talking about isn't this quiet, inward peace that goes on. Something happened to him outwardly. That he would literally dance before God and he would be so full of joy. How could he be this way in this situation? Well, although everything in Habakkuk's external world is wrong, he's saying, you know what? My relationship with God, Yahweh, is incredible. And so in saying all that, you begin to look here. That once again, he humbles himself under the mighty hand of God. Even though everything externally was bad. And when I begin to humble myself in this way, there's a grace that's released on every one of us. Now, in saying all that, I believe every one of us in this room right now, we've got some things externally or outwardly that we really don't like. But in that situation, do you get in the presence of the Lord and you begin to dance and you begin to have a joy and say, you know what, Father God, I don't care how it looks in the natural I trust you. I, try, I cast all my care upon you. And when I cast all my care upon him, he said that he will exalt me in due season. Now watch verse 19. The Lord God is my strength. That's the voice of humility right there. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He'll make me sure-footed 
and he will make me walk on my high heels. So everything that Habakkuk is now saying is no more. Father God, do you not see this? Do you not see that? Do you not see what I'm going through? Now everything is, man, Father God, I praise you. You're my strength. When life gets tough, you're going to make me sure-footed. You're going to help me through all this. So literally in this passage, Habakkuk has gone from complaining to confidence. He's gone from being a man of doubt and unbelief to a man of faith. He's gone from a a man that's just looking at everything external now to a man that says, God's a big God. He's a big God. I believe personally, everything shifted when God gave him that word in in chapter 2 and said, Listen, dude, though it may tarry, wait. I got it, okay? Now look how he ends this right here. To the chief musician with stringed instruments. Now this passage right here, this this little bit really caught my attention right here. Because when he said to the chief musicians, he was talking to the praise and worship leader or the choir director. With stringed instruments. And so you know what he's saying? He said, listen boys, get your guitars out. And you want to write a song? There it is right there. That this should be our worship. This should be our praise. That we ought to sing about the goodness of God. The strength of God. That God's got it together. If I'll just humble myself and say, Father God, I don't know what to do. But you do. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. But you do. So oftentimes when I, I, I read this, pride is reflected in a hard heart. Pride is camouflaged in unbelief. It says, you know what? I can't trust God. I can't trust it. Now I want you to go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Remember this as you're turning there. Humility isn't weakness. Actually, it's the exact opposite of that. But oftentimes in the Bible, you find that the humble are mistaken for being prideful or arrogant. Now, we're going to 1 Samuel 17. This is a passage of King David. If you remember, at a very young age, he's anointed to be the next king of Israel. He's not the king. He's anointed to be the next king. Now, think about that. If you knew you were uh, the anointed next king of Israel, it would be very easy for me to get over into pride and start thinking, well, do they know who I am? Do they know I'm the next king? And so even when I I have talents and abilities, there's still got to be a humility. And I believe even in this sense, it goes back to 1 Peter 5, 5, where it says, submit yourself to your elders. Something happens when I do that, and in even David's time, he had to submit himself to an ungodly king named Saul. So in this passage right here, David is the anointed next king of Israel. And his brothers are up at the the, the front fighting in a battle against this giant named Goliath. And so David's dad says, take the supplies up there. And as, as David gets up there, He sees the military, the the army of Israel in a strange military position. They're hiding and they're afraid. They're in terror. Why? This guy named Goliath has showed up for 40 days and 40 nights. 
He's taunted them and he's mocked them. So we pick up in 1 Samuel 17, verse 25. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches. That's a plus. He will give him his daughter. That's a plus. And he will give his father's house exemption from taxes. Now that's worth it all right there. I'm exempt from tax. That's it. I'm in. Verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Now he, tells, he says, tell me that one more time. And takes away the reproach of Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So think about this. You, you got all these men that have been warriors for Israel. Many of them for years. And a bunch of them are David's own brothers. And they start talking about this giant. And here this little teenage boy, or he's late in his teenage years at least. He says, how dare this uncircumcised Philistine should defy the armies of the living God? Now, I don't know about you, but if I was one of his brothers or one of those veterans of war, I would think, who does this little red-headed freckle face think he is? So you can get over real quick if you're not careful and think, David was full of pride. David was arrogant. Keep reading. Verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the approach for Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the manner saying, So it shall be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. David wasn't, he, he wasn't bashful. He was very bold. And what David says infuriates his oldest brother. To the point, I think Eliab's almost thinking, who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? Now watch Eliab's words here as we go on. Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He's belittling in here. Now look at the words here. I know your pride. I know your pride and the insolence or the deceit of your heart. Interesting. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. So when you begin to look at this, he says, I know your pride. But time out. Wait just a second on that. Which of the siblings was actually really full of pride? Could it have been the oldest? Could it really have been Eliab that was really full of pride? What do you mean by that? Well, hold your place right there and just turn back to one book to chapter 16. One chapter. 1 Samuel 16. The king at this time was Saul, and Saul became very ungodly. And so God speaks to the prophet Samuel and says, listen, I, I got to get a new king. 
So he said, what I want you to do is I want you to go to this guy named Jesse the Bethlehemite's house. And he said, that's where we'll find the next king. We pick up in in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. So it was when they came that he, Samuel, looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. When he sees Eliab, he's like, this is a no-brainer. It's got to be him because he's the oldest, he's the biggest, and he's the smartest. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. I have rejected him for the Lord does not look or see as man sees for the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when you see this right here, why did God reject him? Why did God refuse him? Could it be the very pride that Eliab referred to that David had, actually it was on the inside of him. And the reason I say that right here is because God himself, he commended David's humility by declaring that David was a man after his own heart. And so humility characterized David's life. When you look at David's life, he was graced in everything he did. And when we think about David being a a, a person of humility... He was far from being a sissy. He was a warrior here. So when Eliab said this, I still wonder if it was really, he was full of pride on the inside of him. So we go back to 1 Samuel 17. Pick up with me in verse 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no, man, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Now it's interesting right here that David speaks to Saul, the king, and David refers to himself as a servant. You see humility right there. You didn't hear David say, excuse me, king. I'm the next one. You're fixing to get thumped out of here and I'm going to be in charge. He didn't say that. He called himself a servant. And he says to him, I'll go fight him. And when he said this, look at at Saul's response to him. He said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are youth and a man of war from his youth. So you know what he's saying there? You can't do that. You're just a punk kid. So what does David do next? He gives Saul his resume. And he says in verse 34, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it. And I struck it and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, right there, you could take all that as he's so arrogant and he's so prideful. But the very next verse will show you the reason David was such a successful man. Verse 37. Moreover, David said, the Lord, 
David said, the Lord. David said, the Lord. What does that got to do with the pastor? He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. He didn't say, look what I'm going to do. He said, the Lord. Now remember this, anytime I put on humility, I humble myself under the hand of God. I'm going to attract grace. And right here, he's acknowledging everything I'm doing in life is because the Lord. So he said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So what do you see right here? A man who began to understand something happens when I humble myself under the mighty hand of God. And when you look at David's life, You see this over and over and over again. So David's life was characterized by humility. I mean, I can take you to passage after passage. He honored Saul. David honored his own men. When you study the story when he was at Ziklag, and they lost everything. David had the worst day of his life. He lost his wife, he lost his kids, he lost all his possessions, and then his own men turned on him. But you know what? David remained humble. David remained humble. He never turned his back on his men, even though they turned his back on him. And once again, the key to all this is, is when I live with humility toward other people, and I humble myself under the mighty hand of God, God's grace is going to come after you. Just as we sing, God's grace keeps chasing me. God's grace keeps changing me. Go with me to the book of Proverbs. Got one more verse you got to see here today. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. See, humility with God is, is obeying God. Just begin to say, I'm going to do what you ask me to do, Father God, over and over. And if you, you study God's great generals in the Bible, you find out that they were men of, of humility. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Moses was very humble. He was more uh, humble than all the men on the earth, more than all of them. Something happens when I live with humility. Proverbs 3, verse 34. Now listen to this. Surely he scorns the scornful. Talking about God. Surely he scorns the scornful. That word scorn there literally means to mock. Surely God mocks the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now any person in his right mind would not want God mocking them. But when I choose to live by pride, this is what happens. No matter who you are. But if I get over and I walk humbly in this life, God will grace every one of my missions. He will exalt me in due time. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.